0: The Cat and Cupid, by Arnold Bennett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Parrot. The Cat and Cupid by Arnold Bennett. Part One. The secret history of the Ebag marriage is now printed for the first time. The Ebag family who prefer their name to be accented on the first syllable, once almost ruled Oldcastle, which is a clean and conceited borough with long historical traditions on the very edge of the industrial, democratic, and unclean five towns. The Ebag family still lives in the grateful memory of Oldcastle, for no family ever did more to preserve the celebrated Old Castilian superiority in social, moral, and religious matters over the vulgar Five Towns. The episodes leading to the Ebag marriage could only have happened in Oldcastle, by which I mean merely that they could not have happened in any of the Five Towns. In the Five Towns, that sort of thing does not occur. I don't know why, but it doesn't. The people are too deeply interested in football, starting prices, rates, public parks, sliding scales, excursions to Blackpool, and municipal shindies to concern themselves with organists as such. In the five towns, an organist may be a sanitary inspector or an auctioneer on Mondays. In Oldcastle, an organist is an organist recognized as such in the streets no one ever heard of an organist in the five towns being taken up and petted by a couple of old ladies but this may occur at oldcastle it in fact did the scandalous circumstances which led to the disappearance from the oldcastle scene of mr scarrett the original organist of st placid have no relation to the present narrative, which opens when the ladies Ebag began to seek for a new organist. The new church of St. Placid owed its magnificent existence to the Ebag family. The apse had been given entirely by old Caiaphas Ebag, M.P., now a paralytic sufferer, at a cost of twelve thousand pounds, and his was the original idea of building the church when owing to the decline of the working man's interest in beer and one or two other things caiaphas lost nearly the whole of his fortune which had been gained by honest labor in mighty speculations he rather regretted the church he would have preferred twelve thousand in cash to a view of the apse from his bedroom window but he was man enough never to complain he lived after his misfortunes, in a comparatively small house with his two daughters, Mrs. Ebag and Miss Ebag. These two ladies are the heroines of the tale. Mrs. Ebag had married her cousin, who had died. She possessed about six hundred a year of her own. She was two years older than her sister, Miss Ebag, a spinster. Miss Ebag was two years younger than Mrs. Ebag, no further information as to their respective ages ever leaked out. Miss Ebag had a little money of her own from her deceased mother, and Caiaphas had the wreck of his riches. The total income of the household was not far short of a thousand a year, but of this, quite two hundred a year was absorbed by young Edith Ebag, Mrs. Ebag's stepdaughter. For Mrs. Ebag, had been her husband's second choice edith who was notorious as a silly chit and spent most of her time in london and other absurd places formed no part of the household though she visited it occasionally the household consisted of old caiaphas bedridden and his two daughters and goldie goldie was the tomcat so termed by reason of his splendid tawniness. Goldie had more to do with the Ebag marriage than anyone or anything except the weathercock on the top of the house. This may sound queer, but is as naught to the queerness about to be unfolded. Part Two It cannot be considered unnatural that Mrs. and Miss Ebag with the assistance of the vicar, should have managed the affairs of the church. People nicknamed them the churchwardens, which was not quite nice, having regard to the fact that their sole aim was the truest welfare of the church. They and the vicar, in a friendly and effusive way, hated each other. Sometimes they got the better of the vicar, and, less often, he got the better of them. In the choice of a new organist, they won. Their candidate was Mr. Carl Ullman, the artistic orphan. Mr. Carl Ullmann is the hero of the tale, the son of one of those German designers of earthenware who, at intervals, come and settle in the five towns for the purpose of explaining fully to the inhabitants how inferior England is to Germany. He had an English mother, and he himself was violently English. He spoke English like an Englishman, and German like an Englishman. He could paint, model in clay, and play three musical instruments, including the organ. His one failing was that he could never earn enough to live on. It seemed as if he was always being drawn by an invisible string towards the workhouse door. Now and then he made half a sovereign extra by deputizing on the organ. In such manner, had he been introduced to the Ebag ladies, his romantic and gloomy appearance had attracted them, with the result that they had asked him to lunch after the service, and he had remained with them till the evening service. During the visit, they had learnt that his grandfather had been court councillor in the kingdom of Saxony. Afterwards, they often said to each other how ideal it would be if only Mr. Skerritt might be removed and Carl Ullman take his place. And when Mr. Skerritt actually was removed by his own wickedness, they regarded it as almost an answer to prayer and successfully employed their powerful interest on behalf of Carl. The salary was a hundred a year. Not once in his life had Carl earned a hundred pounds in a single year for him the situation meant opulence he accepted it but calmly gloomily romantic gloom was his joy in life he said with deep melancholy that he was sure he could not find a convenient lodging in oldcastle and the ladies' ebag then said that he must really come and spend a few days with them and Goldie and Papa until he was suited. He said that he hated to plant himself on people and yielded to the request. The ladies' ebag fussed around his dark-eyed and tranquil pessimism, and both of them instantly grew younger, a curious but authentic phenomenon. They adored his playing and they were enchanted to discover that his notion about hymn-tunes agreed with theirs, and by consequence disagreed with the vicar's. In the first week or two they scored off the vicar five times, and the advantage of having your organist in your own house grew very apparent. They were also greatly impressed by his gentleness with Goldie, and by his intelligent interest in serious questions. One day, Miss Ebag said timidly to her sister, "'It's just six months to-day.' "'What do you mean, sister?' asked Mrs. Ebag, subconsciously. "'Since Mr. Ullman came.' "'So it is,' said Mrs. Ebag, who was just as well aware of the date as the spinster was aware of it. They said it no more. The position was the least bit delicate karl had found no lodging he did not offer to go they did not want him to go he did not offer to pay and really he cost them nothing except laundry whiskey and fussing how could they suggest that he should pay he lived amidst them like a beautiful mystery and all were seemingly content Carl was probably saving the whole of his salary, for he never bought clothes, and he did not smoke. The ladies Ebag simply did what they liked about tunes. Part 3 You would have thought that no outsider would find a word to say, and you would have been mistaken. The fact that Mrs. Ebag was two years older than Miss, and Miss two years younger than Mrs. Ebag, The fact that old Caiaphas was, for strong reasons, always in the house. The fact that the ladies were notorious cat idolaters. The fact that the reputation of the Ebag family was, and had ever been, spotless. The fact that the Ebag family had given the apse and practically created the entire church. All these facts added together did not prevent the outsider from finding a word to say at first words were not said but looks were looked and coughs were coughed then someone strolling into the church of a morning while carl Ullman was practising saw miss ebag sitting in silent ecstasy in a corner and a few mornings later the same someone whose curiosity had been excited veritably saw Mrs. Ebag in the organ loft with Carl Ullman, but no sign of Miss Ebag. It was at this juncture that words began to be said. Words, not complete sentences. The sentences were never finished. Of course, it's no affair of mine, but... I wonder that people like the Ebags should... Not that I should ever dream of hinting that. First one, and then the other. Well! I'm sure that if either Mrs. or Miss Ebag had the slightest idea, they'd at once. And so on. Intangible gossamer criticism floating in the air. Part Four One evening it was precisely the first of June when a thunderstorm was blowing up from the southwest and scattering the smoke of the five towns to the four corners of the world and making the weathercock of the house of the Ebag's creek. The ladies Ebag and Carl Ullman sat together, as usual, in the drawing-room. The French window was open, but banged, too, at intervals. Carl Ullman had played the piano, and the ladies Ebag, Mrs. Ebag, somewhat comfortably stout, and miss ebag spare were talking very well and sensibly about the influence of music on character they invariably chose such subjects for conversation carl was chiefly silent but now and then after a sip of whiskey he would say yes with impressiveness and stare gloomily out of the darkening window the ladies ebag had a remarkable example of the influence of music on character in the person of edith ebag it appeared that edith would never play anything but waltzes waltoufos for a choice and that the foolish frivolity of her flyaway character was a direct consequence of this habit carl felt sadly glad after hearing the description of edith's carryings on that edith had chosen to live far away, and then the conversation languished and died with the daylight, and a certain self-consciousness obscured the social atmosphere. For a vague rumor of the chatter of the town had penetrated the house, and the ladies Ebag, though they scorned chatter, were affected by it. Karl Olman, too. It had the customary effect of such chatter. It fixed the thoughts of those chatted about on matters which perhaps would not otherwise have occupied their attention the ladies ebag said to themselves we are no longer aged nineteen we are moreover living with our father if he is bedridden what then this gossip connecting our names with that of mr ullman is worse than baseless it is preposterous we assert positively that we have no designs of any kind on Mr. Ullman. Nevertheless, by dint of thinking about that gossip, the naked idea of a marriage with Mr. Ullman soon ceased to shock them. They could gaze at it without going into hysterics. As for Carl, he often meditated upon his own age, which might have been anything between thirty and forty-five, and upon the mysterious ages of the ladies, and upon their goodness, their charm, their seriousness, their intelligence, and their sympathy with himself. Hence the self-consciousness in the gloaming. To create a diversion, Miss Ebag walked primly to the window and cried, Goldie! Goldie! It was Goldie's bedtime. In summer, he always strolled into the garden after dinner and he nearly always sensibly responded to the call when his bed hour sounded. No one would have dreamed of retiring until Goldie was safely ensconced in his large basket under the stairs. Naughty Goldie, Miss Ebag said comprehensively to the garden. She went into the garden to search and Mrs Ebag followed her and Carl Ullman followed Mrs. Eback, and they searched without result, until it was black night and the threatening storm at last fell. The vision of Goldie out in that storm desolated the ladies, and Carl Ullman displayed the nicest feeling. At length the rain drove them in, and they stood in the drawing-room with anxious faces, while two servants, under directions from Carl, search the house for Goldie. "'If you please em, stammered the housemaid, rushing rather unconventionally into the drawing-room. "'Cook says she thinks Goldie must be on the roof, in the vein.' "'On the roof, in the vein?' exclaimed Mrs. Ebag, pale. "'In the vein?' "'Yes, whatever do you mean, Sarah?' said Miss Ebag, even paler the ladies ebag were utterly convinced that goldie was not like other cats that he never went on the roof that he never had any wish to do anything that was not in the strictest sense gentlemanly and correct and if by chance he did go on the roof it was merely to examine the roof itself or to enjoy the view therefrom out of gentlemanly curiosity so that this reference to the roof shocked them. The night did not favour the theory of view-gazing. Cook says she heard the weather-vane creaking ever since she went upstairs after dinner, and now it's stopped and she can hear Goldie a-meowling like anything. "'Is Cook in her attic?' asked Mrs. Ebag. "'Yes, am Ask her to come out.' Mr. Ullman, will you be so very good as to come upstairs and investigate? Cook, enveloped in a cloak, stood out on the second landing, while Mr. Ullman and the ladies invaded her chamber. The noise of meowling was terrible. Mr. Olman opened the dormer window, and the rain burst in, together with a fury of meowling. But he did not care. It lightened And thundered but he did not care he procured a chair of cooks and put it under the window and stood on it with his back to the window and twisted forth his body so that he could spy up the roof the ladies protested that he would be wet through but he paid no heed to them then his head dripping returned into the room I've just seen by a flash of lightning he said In a voice of emotion, the poor animal has got his tail fast in the socket of the weather-vane. He must have been whisking it about up there, and the vane turned and caught it. The vane is jammed. How dreadful, said Mrs. Ebag. Whatever can be done? He'll be dead before morning, sobbed Miss Ebag. I shall climb up the roof and release him said Carl Ullmann, gravely. They forbade him to do so. Then they implored him to refrain. But he was adamant, and in their supplications there was a note of insincerity, for their hearts bled for Goldie, and further they were not altogether unwilling that Karl should prove himself a hero. And so, amid apprehensive feminine cries of the acuteness of his danger, Carl crawled out of the window and faced the thunder, the lightning, the rain, the slippery roof, and the maddened cat. A group of three servants were huddled outside the attic door. In the attic, the ladies could hear his movements on the roof, moving higher and higher. The suspense was extreme. Then there was silence. Even the meowling had ceased. Then a clap of thunder, and then... After that, a terrific clatter on the roof, abounding downwards as of a great stone, a curse, a horrid pause, and finally, a terrific smashing of foliage and cracking of wood. Mrs. Ebag sprang to the window. "'It's all right,' came a calm, gloomy voice from below. "'I fell into the rhododendrons, and Goldie followed me. "'I'm not hurt.' thank goodness just my luck a bell rang imperiously it was the paralytic's bell he had been disturbed by these unaccustomed phenomena sister do go to father at once said mrs ebag as they both hastened downstairs in a state of emotion assuredly unique in their lives Part five mrs ebag met carl and the cat as they dripped into the gaslit drawing-room they presented a surprising spectacle and they were doing damage to the persian carpet at the rate of about five shillings a second but that carl and the beloved creature for whom he had dared so much were equally unhurt appeared to be indubitable of course it was a miracle it could not be regarded as other than a miracle. Mrs. Ebag gave vent to an exclamation in which were mingled pity, pride, admiration, and solicitude, and then remained, as it were, spellbound. The cat escaped from those protecting arms and fled away. Instead of following Goldie, Mrs. Ebag continued to gaze at the hero. How can I thank you? she whispered. "'What for?' asked Carl, with laconic gloom. "'For having saved my darling,' said Mrs. Ebag, and there was passion in her voice. "'Oh,' said Carl, "'it was nothing.' "'Nothing,' Mrs. Ebag repeated after him, with melting eyes, as if to imply that, instead of being nothing, it was everything, as if to imply that his deed must rank hereafter, with the most splendid deeds of antiquity, as if to imply that the whole affair was beyond words to utter, or gratitude to repay. And, in fact, Karl himself was moved. You cannot fall from the roof of a two-story house into a very high-class rhododendron bush carrying a prize-cat in your arms without being a bit shaken. And Carl was a bit shaken, not merely physically, but morally and spiritually. He could not deny to himself that he had, after all, done something rather wondrous, which ought to be celebrated in sounding verse. He felt that he was in an atmosphere far removed from the commonplace. He dripped steadily onto the carpet. "'You know how dear my cat was to me,' proceeded Mrs. Ebeck, "'and you risked your life to spare me the pain of his suffering. "'Perhaps his death. "'How thankful I am that I insisted on having those rhododendrons "'planted just where they are fifteen years ago. "'I never anticipated.' "'She stopped. "'Tears came into her dowager eyes.' It was obvious that she worshipped him she was so absorbed in his heroism that she had no thought even for his dampness as karl's eyes met hers she seemed to him to grow younger and there came into his mind all the rumour that had vaguely reached him coupling their names together and also his early dreams of love and passion and a marriage that would be one long honeymoon and he saw how absurd had been those early dreams he saw that the best chance of a felicitous marriage lay in a union of mature and serious persons animated by grave interests and lofty ideals yes she was older than he but not much not much not more than how many years And he remembered, surprising her rapt glance that very evening as she watched him playing the piano. What had romance to do with age? Romance could occur at any age. It was occurring now. Her soft eyes, her portly form, exuded romance and had not the renowned Beaconsfield espoused a lady appreciably older than himself, and did not those espousals achieve the ideal of bliss? In the act of saving the cat, he had not been definitely aware that it was so particularly the cat of the household, but now, influenced by her attitude and her shining reverence, he actually did begin to persuade himself that an uncontrollable instinctive desire to please her and win her for his own had moved him to undertake the perilous passage of the sloping roof. In short, the idle chatter of the town was about to be justified. In another moment he might have dripped into her generous arms. Had not Miss Ebag swept into the drawing-room, Gracious, gasped Miss Ebag, the poor dear thing will have pneumonia. Sister, you know his chest is not strong. Dear Mr. Ullman, please, please, do go and mm, change. He did the discreet thing and went to bed, hot whiskey following him on a tray carried by the housemaid. part six the next morning the slightly unusual happened it was the custom for Carl allman to breakfast alone while reading the staffordshire signal the ladies ebag breakfasted mysteriously in bed but on this morning Carl found miss ebag before him in the breakfast room she prosecuted minute inquiries as to his health and nerves she went out with him to regard the rhododendron bushes and shuddered at the sight of the ruin which had saved him. She said, following famous philosophers, that chance was merely the name we give to the effect of laws which we cannot understand. And, upon this high level of conversation, she poured forth his coffee and passed his toast. It was a lovely morning after the tempest. Goldie, all newly combed, and looking as though he had never seen the roof, strolled pompously into the room, with tail unfurled. Miss Ebag picked the animal up and kissed it passionately. Darling, she murmured, not exactly to Mr. Ullman, nor yet exactly to the cat. Then she glanced effulgently at Carl and said, When I think that you risked your precious life in that awful storm, to save my poor Goldie? You must have guessed how dear he was to me. No, really, Mr. Ullman, I cannot thank you properly. I can't express my... Her eyes were moist. Although not young, she was two years younger. Her age was two years less. The touch of man had never profaned her. No masculine kiss had ever rested on that cheek, that mouth. And Carl felt that he might be the first to call the flower that had so long waited. He did not see, just then, the hollow beneath her chin, the two lines of sinew that, bounding at depression, disappeared beneath her colorette. He saw only her soul. He guessed that she would be more malleable than the widow and he was sure that she was not in a position as the widow was to make comparisons between husbands certainly there appeared to be some confusion as to the proprietorship of this cat certainly he could not have saved the cat's life for love of two different persons but that was beside the point the essential thing was that he began to be glad that he had decided nothing definite about the widow, on the previous evening. "'Darling!' said she again, with a new access of passion, kissing Goldie, but darting a glance at Carl. He might have put to her the momentous question between two bites of buttered toast, had not Mrs. Ebag, at the precise instant, swum amply into the room. "'Sister, you up?' Exclaimed Miss Ebag. And you, sister? retorted Mrs. Ebag. Part seven. It is impossible to divine what might have occurred for the delectation of the very ancient borough of Oldcastle if that frivolous piece of goods, Edith, had not taken it into her head to run down from London for a few days on the plea that London was too ridiculously hot she was a pretty girl with fluffy honey-coloured hair and about thirty white frocks and she seemed to be quite as silly as her staid stepmother and her prim step-aunt had said she transformed the careful order of the house into a wild disorder and left a novel or so lying on the drawing-room table between her stepmother's contemporary review and her step-aunt's history of european morals her taste in music was candidly and brazenly bad it was a fact as her elders had stated that she played nothing but waltzes what was worse she compelled karl ullmann to perform waltzes and one day she burst into the drawing-room when karl was alone there with a roll under her luscious arm and said what do you think i've found at Berylfoot's?" i don't know said carl gloomily smiling and then smiling without gloom waltiful's waltzes arrange for four hands you must play them with me at once and he did it was a sad spectacle to see the organist of saint placid's galloping through a series of dances with the empty-headed edith the worst was he liked it he knew that he ought to prefer the high intellectual plane, the severe artistic tastes of the elderly sisters but he did not he was amazed to discover that frivolity appealed more powerfully to his secret soul he was also amazed to discover that his gloom was leaving him this vanishing of gloom gave him strange sensations, akin to the sensations of a man who, after having worn gaiters into middle age, abandons them. After the waltiful she began to tell him all about herself, how she went slumming in the East End, and how jolly it was, and how she helped in the Bloomsbury settlement, and how jolly that was, and later she said, You must have thought it very odd of me, Mr. Ullman, not thanking you for so bravely rescuing my poor cat. But the truth is I never heard of it till today. I can't say how grateful I am. I should have loved to see you doing it. Is Goldie your cat? He feebly inquired. Why, of course, she said. Didn't you know? of course you did goldie always belonged to me grandpa bought him for me but i couldn't do with him in london so i always leave him here for them to take care of he adores me he never forgets me he'll come to me before anyone you must have noticed that i can't say how grateful i am it was perfectly marvellous of you i can't help laughing Though, whenever I think, what a state mother and auntie must have been in that night. Strictly speaking, they hadn't a cent between them, except his hundred a year. But he married her hair, and she married his melancholy eyes, and she was content to settle in Old Castle, where there are almost no slums. And her stepmother was forced by Edith to make the hundred up to four hundred, this was rather hard on mrs ebag thus it fell out that mrs ebag remained a widow and that miss ebag continues a flower uncalled however gossip was stifled in his appointed time and in the fullness of years goldie died and was mourned and by none was he more sincerely mourned than by the aged bedrid caffus "'I miss my cat. I can't tell you,' said old Caiaphas, "'pettishly to Carl, who was sitting by his couch. "'He knew his master, Goldie did. "'Edith did her best to steal him from me when you married and set up house. "'A nice thing, considering I bought him, and he never belonged to anybody but me. "'Aye, I shall never have another cat like that cat.' "'And this is the whole truth of the affair.' End of The Cat and Cupid by Arnold Bennett